The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. So, I believe that we, as a culture, tend to give people too much credit and too much blame for maybe what they don't deserve or what they haven't earned. <laughs> that, that basically, depending on positional authority, we tend to, to give either too much credit or too much blame to people, depending on what it is. If, case in point this week, if you went upstairs, you would see that the student room is decorated awesomely to look like a jungle. Uh, uh, Ms. Sean made, she had paper that she twisted the paper, made it look like vines. She stapled some lee, like paper leaves, and it, lo- it, looks, it looks awesome up there. And people who don't know have come to me and said, Blake, the room looks awesome. You did a fantastic job doing this. And I said, nope. <laughs> I, I had no part in the decorating. That, that, that was not me. But because we, we, we give credit where where maybe I, I have to push that credit away. Like, I, I had nothing to do with that. Michonne did a fantastic job decorating. If it would have looked bad, right, they would have also come to me and said, your room doesn't look too good. You didn't do very good, right? And then, of course, I would have had to say, you're right. I didn't do good, right? That's, that's what you have to do. But it looks, it looks awesome, but I can't take any credit for that. And, and so I was thinking, I was thinking about this, this idea of, of credit and blame and, and where we put it and how it affects us. And I was, I was thinking back to the glory days of senior year of high school baseball, and we were supposed to take a step back that year. So my, my junior year, we had a, a, a good team. We, we started all juniors and seniors. We made it to the state semifinals. We were like that close, right? I, I still remember most plays of that game, right? We, we, we were that close. But the next year, we were supposed to take a step back. We were, half the team was new starters. We were starting some sophomores. We, we just weren't supposed to do that well. But we started out of the gate hot. Went 10-0, beat the number one team in the state. We thought we were bad. We thought we were good. But we started to take a little bit of a nosedive. And we started losing some games. We weren't doing very well. And what, what seemed to happen was in high school baseball, you play seven innings. And we would play six innings of great baseball. But somewhere in the middle, there would be one inning where we just seemed to lose focus, where we would make a couple of mistakes. It was never one person. It was the whole team. It just seemed to be one inning a game. And we would lose. And I remember, I think we probably lost like four games in a row at this point. And our coach, our coach told, during the JV game, before the JV game, he said, varsity players go out to the outfield. What I'm saying to y'all obviously is not getting through, so I want y'all to go out there and I want you to figure it out. All right, you go out there, you figure it out, you tell me what you think needs to change. You tell me what's going on. So we go out there and we've got all sorts of ideas, right? And most of our ideas revolve around the fact that our practices aren't what they're supposed to be. Our coach needs to change some things in the practice. Uh, some people even have, we had a foosball table in our locker room and be like, we got to get that foosball table is making us lose. We got to get rid of the foosball table. So we, we had all sorts of ideas. And so we go back to the coach. We, we tell him, hey, I think it was something along the lines of we need to do more situational work. We need to do more live RMBP and practice. If we do this, then, then we'll change. We'll, we'll start winning again. And so coach said, okay. Uh, and during the JV game, I, I had a good relationship with our coach and I was sitting down on the bucket next to him. And he said, so, you know, Cutter, kind of disappointed in the answer y'all came back with. 
And I was like, okay, coach. All right, what? And he, and he said, what I wanted y'all to go out there and see and figure out was that y'all are still the same team that went 10-0. Y'all are still the same team that every day in practice y'all give 100%. There's no effort problem. There's no work ethic problem. I want, you're still the same team that went 10-0. What our problem is, is one inning a game, you lose focus. You just lose that focus for one inning a game, and, and it costs us. And I can't fix that for you. I, I can't fix that for you. That has to come from within. I can't, I can't do that for you. I can't make you focus that extra one inning a game. And I'm, and I'm a little disappointed that, that the answer was we're pushing blame, credit towards something else. And so as we're going to be continuing in 1 Corinthians this morning, uh, we're going to see that, that the Corinthians as well had a little bit of a credit problem they have bad credit, right? Where, where they, they gave credit where it shouldn't have gone. And you've probably seen this, you've seen this happen in all areas of life, right? You, ha- you have worked with somebody, you have worked with somebody who always seemed to do the minimal amount of work, yet seemed to get credit for everything good that happened. Or you've worked with somebody who things are going down and somebody has to get fired and they choose one person who they, they get fired even though they, they didn't really deserve that blame. Or we see it in the sports world, right? I saw Arkansas Razorback fan here. Uh, I think we're on our fourth coach in the past seven years, right? If, if we're not winning, if we're not doing good enough, if we're not doing as good as this team over here, then coach has got to go. What was it, two years ago, last year, Florida fires their head coach after winning the SEC East two years in a row because they couldn't beat Alabama, right? It's, it's just we credit, blame, we've, we've got it all messed up, and it's not a new problem. And so we saw last week, we saw last week the, the cure to disunity. We, we saw the cure to disunity in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul said the cure to disunity is focusing on the cross. And we saw all that the cross of Christ has done for us and is doing for us. That that the Corinthians had these factions in their church. They had these factions in this church where there was, it was Paul, it was Apollos, it was Cephas, it was Jesus. They just had all these things. And Paul says, the solution to this is the cross. Focus on the cross. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is going back to the disunity. This this was a persistent problem. It was a big problem. So he goes to there, and then he goes back in chapter 3, and he goes back to, but we need to revisit this this disunity problem again. And we see that, that the heart of this disunity problem is they were giving credit to people when that credit belonged to God. That they were giving credit to people when that credit belonged to God. And so their focus was on people instead of God. And when we lose our focus, we lose our way. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to uh, begin reading in verse 4. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. And this reads, For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? 
What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. So I think the, the very first thing we, should, we need to notice here is that this is all centered around comparisons. That, that comparison is a thief. That comparison is a thief of, of joy. It's a, it's a thief of good things. It is, it is a thief because whenever our focus is on comparisons, it steals the thunder from what God is doing. And so we know from Acts that both Paul and Apollos both had a significant influence on the Corinthian church. They both spent quite a bit of time in Corinth building and helping establish and helping to grow the Corinthian church. And it seems here that, that some people liked Apollos more and some people liked Paul more. I can kind of imagine maybe what their conversations and arguments were like, right? Which one's the better preacher? Which one's the better teacher? Which one is better at pastoral care? Which one is better at, I bet they even, like, which one looked better? I bet that was even part of the conversation. Who was right on which topic? Who has helped us the most? Now, normally, normally when the Bible talks about comparison, so if, if you read through Proverbs, you read through all throughout the Bible, Jesus talks about comparison a lot. Normally what it reads is it's talking about us comparing ourselves to other people. And the, and the Bible warns against making those comparisons, that, that it leads to pride, it leads to self-righteousness. And we also know that it, it can lead to the opposite. It can lead to, to feelings of, of worthlessness, depending on who we're comparing ourselves to and what, and what we're doing. But a lot of those same principles still apply whenever we are talking about comparing one person to another person. Because, because the principle is, what's wrong with it, is when we are comparing ourselves to somebody, and we're comparing this person to that person, what we're doing is we are focusing on people. And God's saying, this isn't supposed to be your focus. Your focus is not on this person, not on that person, not on yourself. Your focus has to be on me. That I, not, not I, right? That, that God is saying, I am the focus. I am what you need to be focused on. And when, and when you are stuck in this comparison, it steals that credit from God. When your heart is focused on another person, then your focus becomes on that person. When your focus is off, we get off. And I've, I've, never, been, I've never been a part, I haven't been around that long, uh, this earth, I guess, but I've never been a part of a church that has not struggled with this in some sense. Never. And honestly, I'm not sure if there has ever been a church that has not struggled with this in some sense. Because we are a consumerist culture. We are a consumerist culture. We, if I want to buy something, 
And you know what I do? I, I go online, I research it, I look up all the different options because I want to get the best value, right? So I'm not, I'm not necessarily looking at the cheapest, right? But my wife might say I'm looking at the cheapest, but I'm not. I'm looking at what is the best value. And so I'm going to compare everything to try to figure out what, what is the best thing to do. We, we have favorites in everything we do. We have, we have favorite sports teams, and we have favorite sports teams. We compare everything to that. We have favorite restaurants. When you have a favorite restaurant, you compare every other restaurant to that restaurant. You have a favorite kid, right? You compare all the kids. Some of you, that, you're like, that, yep, that's true. That's true. I'm, my parents are going to watch this, I know. And they're going to be like, yep, Blake, he was the favorite. We know it. It's true. It's true. We have favorites in everything. And so it's only natural that that slips into the church. That we have a favorite pastor. We have a favorite staff member. We have a favorite Sunday school teacher. We have a favorite deacon. We have a favorite anybody who has been in any sort of spiritual leadership in your life. We have favorites. And when, that be- when the favorite becomes the focus and we start comparing everything to this person, then our focus has gone off from God and is on this person and it is stealing the credit from God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to have a favorite. I, I have favorite pastors from my life. When it becomes a problem where it becomes wrong is where we say what my favorite is, is this is what I'm focusing on. And what my favorite is, this is now the standard for the church. That my favorite is now the standard that every single person needs to live up to. My favorite is the standard that everything needs to go directed towards. And that is where the disunity comes. Because my favorite's not going to be your favorite. Me and my wife don't even have same favorites. And if we don't have same favorites, then certainly we're going to be different. And, s- and so we can't make our favorites the standard. We can't make Paul the standard. We can't make Apollos the standard. I actually saw this happen uh, firsthand this past weekend. So, so last weekend, I went and I, I got the privilege to, to teach at a disciple now on the other side of Atlanta. So we had RD now this weekend. Last weekend, I, I got to go teach uh, at, an, at another student ministries. And I was standing there talking with the student pastor. He'd been there uh, two to three years and one of the seniors, one of the seniors in high school, so that, that kind of senior. And, and the, sen- the senior said, he was, he was talking and he said, he said, man, I remember back when some other youth pastor was here. D-Now was awesome. He had this place packed. It was, it was the best. And, and I could see the hurt, right, that the hurt came across this student pastor. I mean, we, talk, we were talking about it later, and he's saying, no, it hurt, number one, because, like, it just hurts to be compared to other people and feel like you're not measuring up. E- even, though, even though the church, the whole church had gone through major changes since that time, that, I mean, that, that had nothing to do with him. But it also hurt, number two, because... Because he knew that if that was the thought rolling around in one of his really good leaders, 
that he knew that that thought was detracting from that weekend should have been and could have been. That, that his student was too, that he was too worried about comparing what this person had done to what that person had done instead of celebrating, hey, God did something awesome here and God's going to do something awesome this weekend, even if it looks different. Because I know it's not, a, it's, it's not about this person versus that person. It's about what God is doing throughout. And it hurts. It hurts when, when people who don't want the credit want to push the credit, but it seems, it seems to, to come. And you know, and you know that it's, it's detracting. And that attitude is going to, to spread. And just like, just like we all do, that, that he was giving credit to a person and blame to a person uh, when that credit belonged to God. Because here, here's what we see in chapter 3. Here's what we've seen. That God is the one who does the work. That God is the one who's doing the real work. I want to I read verses 6 through 8 again. So Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are God's field. So this, this is the first of three metaphors that Paul uses uh, to describe the church in this passage. That we are God's field. Paul planted Apollos watered. So you know what they are? They're farmhands. That Paul and Apollos are farmhands working for one farmer. Now I got to, in Arkansas, I lived in a farming community for about three years. It was an eye-opening time for me to, I, you know, I'd grown up in the suburbs, and I went to this farming community, and I, I learned a lot. I got, I got to watch as as they planted, I got to watch as the crops grew. I got to watch as the combines went out to harvest. Uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful cycle. But here, here's one thing you learn quickly. There is a very big difference between a farmer and a farmhand. There is a very big difference between a farmer and a farmhand. I mean, number one, there's a difference in money. <laughs> That, that farm, farmers do all right. Farm hands aren't on the path to getting rich. But, but the biggest thing is responsibility. That if there is a couple of bad years, it is the farmer who is responsible. It is the farmer whose neck is on the line. It is the farmer who the banks are going to come to if, if they don't have the produce, the yield. It, it, it is the farmer who is responsible for the growth. The farmhands just carry out what the farmer has said to do. And if, and if something goes wrong, then another farmer will probably gladly take them in. But they, they, don't, they don't carry that same responsibility. And Paul and Apollos are saying, we are farmhands. I planted, Apollos watered, but we are one. We are one. We are also interchangeable. A plower, a planter, a plower, and an irrigator, the same people can do either one of those jobs. It's just whichever one God's, the farmer, God says, I need you to go do this job. Because there's no rivalry on a farm. 
You're, ne- you're never going to hear someone who did the planting say, what I did was way more important than the person who came and did the watering. The person who does the watering is never going to come and say, what I do is more important than the planting. Because we are one. You're not going to have a yield. You're not going to have any sort of produce, any sort of wheat, any sort of corn, soybeans, without both taking place. But it is the farmer who gets the credit. And it requires unity of thought and unity of action for any type of yield to happen. The second metaphor that Paul uses in this passage is a building, is a building. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 15. It says, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation other than what has been laid down. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The foundation of the building, the foundation of the church, just like we saw last week, is Jesus Christ crucified. That that is the foundation that has to be laid. That cannot be replaced. Paul doesn't say, I'm the foundation. He says, I was here to lay the foundation. I was here to to preach to you Jesus Christ crucified. That's the foundation for what we are doing. But leaders, Apollos, but he even takes it a step further. He says each one is responsible for how it is built on. That, that this, goes beyond, this goes beyond leaders, but this goes to, to every single one of us are responsible for how it is built upon the foundation. Each one has to be careful of how he builds on it. And God is the one who judges what is built. That God is the one who judges what is built. Because we tend to get tripped up whenever we fall into that category. When we, when we decide to take up the mantle of who decides what is built and how it's built, we tend to get tripped up and mess up a little bit. Because, because I think we focus on different things sometimes. Because it seems to hear what God is most focused on when it comes to the building is how the building is built, the material that the building is built out of. That it, that it says gold, silver, precious stones versus wood, sticks, and hay. That, that three of these are not flammable, three of these are flammable, and I care more about which one is going to survive, which one is going to stand on that day when I return. That on that day, what is, survives on that foundation isn't about how big it is, but it's about what it is made of. I think there's, there's an old nursery rhyme that kind of tells that same story, right? That has that same lesson. That the three little piggies and the big bad wolf. Right? That, 
that the three pigs, right, the first one builds his big old house out of straw, the second one builds his big old house out of sticks, and the third one builds his house out of brick. Takes him a little bit longer. And the big bad wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs and he blows the first house down of hay. He huffs and he puffs and he blows the second house down made of sticks. Comes to the house of bricks, he huffs and he puffs and he cannot blow the house down. That what it is built of matters. And too many times I get caught up, we get caught up on looking more at what it looks like rather than how it is built, rather than materials it is built of, right? God is the judge, not me, because I see lots of things that I think maybe look awesome. They look big, they look cool, they look shiny, they look fun, but they're not going to survive the day. And if I'm the judge, then I might mess up a little bit on that. Because we, we, see, these, these, we see these great things that look amazing, and they are odd. They might be. I don't, I'm not the judge. But they're houses of complacency, of entertainment, of comfort. And when the fire comes, will it stand? When the day comes, will it stand? I, I would much rather, much rather be a part of a small, small, small made of gold than a large building of hay. And so the Bible has a little bit to say about, about building out of the right stuff. So we, we, we get to see that, that, that God has called us to, to a great commandments. Um, to love the Lord our God, to love our neighbor. He has called us to a great commission to go and make disciples who are able to make disciples. And I think Jesus says if you focus on these three things, then, then everything falls into that category. And so as, as I think about our students who are up here, the students who are upstairs, I want them built out of the right stuff. I want them built out of gold and silver and precious stones. That, that their lives, their future lives, their future churches they are a part of, their future families, that they are built out of the right material. And the same for us, that we are built out of the right materials, that we are loving God with our hearts, we are loving our neighbors, and that we are disciples who are making disciples, who are able to make disciples. And God says that's, that's a building made of gold. So Paul says that we are a field, he says that we are a building, and then here at the end he says that we are God's temple. Uh, verse 16, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and that is what you are. This is one of those places where our English translation kind of trips us up a little bit. If they had a southern translation, that would be great, right? Because, because the you here is plural. The you here is plural, but we don't have that in real English, but in southern English we do. So it could say, don't y'all know that y'all are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in y'all. 
Now, I don't want you, don't, don't think that, I, that I'm trying to ruin any, any theology of the individual being the temple of God, because Paul does use the you singularly, individually, in, an, in another part. But right here, he's saying, you, the church, are God's temple. Y'all are God's temple. And we could go back to the question he asked in verse 1. Is God's temple divided? Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Is the temple divided? Is the Spirit of God divided? No. So why are you? He says, you are holy. God's temple is holy. That we are set apart for him. We're not set apart to figure out who's the best. We're not set apart to figure out what we like the most. We're not, figured, we're not set apart for ourselves. We are set apart to be a light on a hill. We are not set apart to figure out who the best farmhand is. We're not set apart to figure out who the best builder is. We are set apart to be disciples who make disciples who love God and who love our neighbor. To be a light in a dark world. And this all happens when our focus is in the right place. When our focus is on Christ. Because when we lose our focus, we lose our way. But when we remember whose we are, when we remember whose we are, our focus goes on to Christ. I want to close with uh, this admonishment, because Paul closes the chapter with these verses, so we're, we're going to close uh, with these verses as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. And it says, So now let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Why would we ever want to boast in a human, in a person, when Paul says, they belong to you because you belong to Christ? Why would we ever want to boast in the work of a person when we have the work of Christ that we belong to? That we, the temple filled with God's Spirit, belong to Jesus, belong to the farmer. We belong to the one who overcame the world, who defeated death, who knows the present, who knows the future, and we remember and dwell in whose we are. The rivalry, the disunity, the discord disappears. And when we collectively say, I belong to Christ, we give that credit to God. As, as, as I'm closing, I, I am so grateful that I get to be a part of a church that has such a rich history. That almost 200 years old. That God, that I'm grateful that God has sent uh, men to be pastors here. He has raised up men and women to be leaders, to teach Sunday school classes. That there have been men and women that God has used throughout this history, that God 
has used this church to be a city, a light on a hill, to make an impact in Conyers, to make an impact in Rockdale, to make an impact beyond it. I am so grateful that we get to be a part of this together. But I am more grateful, I am more grateful that there was one God, one farmer who was there through it all. That there is one Jesus upon which we have been built, and that there is one spirit which has filled us this whole entire time. And as we build together, as each one of us builds together, that we, that we would cement ourselves saying we are going to build from the right material, that our focus is going to be on Christ, not on us, because that is the God who we serve. And that he will move among us, move through us, and we will point to him as he does it. I would say all credit, all glory to God. God is telling us this morning that, that we need to fix our eyes on him. God's worked on my heart this week. Saying that there's, that I, I have a God, a farmer, who I need to apologize to. That, that I need to ask forgiveness to God because I, I have given credit that belonged to him to other people. That I have given credit to people who impacted my life greatly through the power of God, and I gave them the credit when I should have been saying, all credit goes to God. Thank you, God, for using this person to impact me, but all credit goes to you. And I, and I think that some of us this morning are in that same boat. They're saying, God... I need to give you the credit. I need to give you the glory. I don't, I don't want to be a part of this game of comparison. I don't want this comparison to be stealing from what you have done. But I, I need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm pushing everything to you now. God, all, all credit goes to you. And so we're, gonna, we're not going to sing this last song. Uh, Jenny, Jenny's going to play for us. And, and what my prayer for you and what my heart would be would be that this would be a time of reflection. That this would be a time where, where, where God would search your soul, your spirit, and say, this is where you're giving credit to other people, and I want you to, I deserve that. Nobody else is worthy of it. Nobody else deserves it. I do. Give it to me. I'm here. I'm here. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.